This is An American Workplace, a podcast dedicated to rewatching and discussing NBC's beloved mockumentary series, The Office. My name is Chad Hopkins, and joining me as always is my good friend and co-host, Katie White. Katie, how are you doing today? I'm pretty great. Winding down the summer, uh, had a really nice day at the beach yesterday, probably the last one of the season. Yeah, things are good. How are you? I'm doing pretty good, too. Today was a fulfilling day at work. Um, I've, I don't know. What else? I, I didn't plan anything else with that statement, and I, I set it up like I did, but I don't. So it's just going good. Sometimes you have to you have to figure out your sentences as you go. What's what's the Michael quote? Sometimes you yeah. start a sentence and you don't know where you're going. Yeah, I hope I just find it along the way. Yeah, and and you didn't, but <laughs> it's okay. It's a risk you got to take. <laughs> Well, we don't have a whole lot of introductory stuff to talk about today. It's only been a few days since we last recorded, so no new emails or Facebook or podcast reviews. We'd love to see more for the next one, though. Uh, We do have a few Twitter people to thank just for interacting with us and talking with us online. That Those shout-outs go to E Thinks About, Julian, and Columbia America 76. And I'm double-checking to make sure there's no more. And that is it. So thank you all for interacting with us on our favorite place to interact with people, Twitter. And that is it pretty much for housekeeping. So why don't you uh, talk to us about our episode of discussion today? Yeah, we are only talking about one episode today because it's kind of a double episode. It's at least it's double length. This is Moving On, which is a really good episode, guys. I'm really excited to talk about all this stuff. It aired on February 14th of 2009. Or yeah, wait, 2013. Oh, no, you're correct. That was me. No, I, we were both wrong. I said 2009, and you said 2019, but it's 2013. It's, yep. So it aired <laughs> February 14th of 2013. It was directed by John Favreau, who directed Elf and the first two Iron Man movies, and more recently, the live-action The Jungle Book and the live-action The Lion King for Disney. So big-name director stepping into the office. Uh, pretty cool. And it was written by Graham Wagner. Andy hunts around for information regarding Aaron's new boyfriend, and when he finds out who it is, spends the rest of the day making Aaron and Pete miserable. Angela helps Dwight with an unpleasant familial task, Pam interviews for a job in Philadelphia, and Toby finally meets the Scranton Strangler. Okay, so starting off with the, I wouldn't even call it the biggest, but one of the main storylines in this episode, there are a few. So, out of the goodness of his heart, David Wallace has elected to not fire Andy after his three-month hiatus from working at Dunder Mifflin. Uh, He says, you know, I wouldn't own Dunder Mifflin if it wasn't for you. So by not firing you, I have made things even. We are even now, Andy, and you are on very thin ice. It's nice uh, after the revelation at the very end of the previous episode to start this episode with David just like chewing out Andy in front of, well, not in front of the office, but everybody can hear uh, them in the conference room. And, you know, David is obviously a great guy, but at what cost? We sort of ask that a couple of times, I think, in regards to his treatment of Michael and like why he continually gave Michael information that he knew Michael would then let slip, which was not always a good thing. Think back to Company Picnic. I mean, what guarantee does David have here that Andy won't do this again? Because we talked about it in the last episode, too. Historically speaking, this is Andy's second abrupt absence from work. You know, I mean, I guess at this point, if he does it again, he is on very thin ice, so he'll be fired. But it's a risk for David for sure. 
as we said last episode, and as you just said, he's not the most consistent guy to show up to work. So this is a risk. And uh, I, I don't think that they are just even. David says that, you know, he owes him this. But I think this is a pretty big, generous offer to let him keep his job after this. So I think he's being pretty generous. On top of the David Wallace tension, there is an enormous amount of tension coming between Andy and Aaron. Andy comes in and tries to be friendly. They have to face each other. There's a window in between them, but that's pretty much it. At work, all day, every day. So he comes in and greets Aaron good morning. He fakes happy, and he breaks down into tears immediately. Does not last very long. Runs into his office, closes the blinds, and then immediately, there's no self-control. There's no dignity here. Immediately peeks through the blinds just to stare at Aaron to see what she's doing and to watch her. So the breakup's not going great. I understand that this whole situation with his family has left Andy, you know, confused, maybe a little angry, just kind of lost, not to mention the breakup with Aaron. But he has no excuse for behaving like a child the way he does at the start of this episode. First with David, I mean, he tries to make up excuses and says stuff like, oh, I wasn't there, but everything was okay in Scranton, so I wasn't lying to you. Or, oh, Oscar says hi all the time. Or even going so far to accuse David of being the liar. It's it's embarrassing, frankly, uh, especially since the whole confrontation is heard by the whole office. It's like, what kind of respect will they have for him after the way he just handled himself? I mean, it was kind of gone anyways, but still. And with the whole fallout after the breakup, you know, he says, when people say office relationships are a good idea, they never talk about what might happen if you break up. Obviously, the saying has never been that office relationships are a good idea. It's always been that they're a bad idea. Plus, he was already in an office relationship that ended badly. And so, yeah, Jim and Pam are kind of the exception to the rule, even though they're even having problems right now. He's just... Andy's being a giant man baby. Like I put that in my notes. Giant man baby. It's it's worse than when Michael. Remember after Carol broke up with him back in Benny Hanna Christmas, uh, mm-hmm. he was lying on the ground saying it hurts, and then Pam said you're laying on your arm, <laughs> and so it was sort of a joke in that way. But this is worse than Michael's behavior or reaction to the breakup after Carol. Yeah, and Erin is really trying to keep this professional. She's trying to be you know friendly, but only professionally friendly. She doesn't want to talk about them or their breakup or their relationship. She only wants to talk about work. And that's the one thing Andy does not want to talk about. And Aaron just isn't letting him wallow in this with her. He can wallow in his office. He can wallow at home, but I'm not ready to talk about this. And of course, she's really not ready to talk about it because her new boyfriend is in the office. She and Pete are seeing each other, but they're keeping it a secret from Andy. Everyone else knows about it because they've witnessed them be very friendly uh, while Andy was away. So that's not much of a secret. But Andy knows that Aaron is seeing somebody, but he doesn't know who it is. And so thinking that he's one of the bros, one of the guys goes to Pete and Clark in the annex to chat about who Aaron's new boyfriend is. And of course, doesn't know that Aaron and Pete are seeing each other. And they are completely unhelpful in uh, aiding Andy in this because of course, they don't want to give away this relationship. So It's all just, you kind of pity him. And at the same time, you're like, no, you're being very just, no, I, (laughs) I don't, I don't have feelings of feeling sorry for you right now. Mr. On Very Thin Ice is completely ignoring his work responsibilities to get to the bottom of this Aaron situation. And 
he's like, I, I can't figure out why she's moved on so fast. It's because you gave her three months head start on the moving on process. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. what did you expect? And then he makes it even worse. He completely invades her privacy. And that's how he finds out that she's actually seeing someone is that she's been texting a guy named Pete. And he has no clue who that is because he spent all this time since hiring Pete in like October or whenever it was over the summer calling him Plop. And I mean, he does discover it eventually. Thankfully, he's not completely an idiot. (laughs) And he confronts Pete or kind of rather forces Pete to confess. And understandably, he wants to fire Pete. But Toby tells him, you know, it's the same situation you had with Nelly. You can't fire people over grudges. So he has this whole moment where Aaron has left the bullpen and he blames the rest of the office for allowing his girlfriend to be stolen by a guy named Plop. Not his name, but whatevs. And he says, I don't care if they're a good match. I don't care if they're Romeo and Juliet. Kind of funny because that analogy works in his favor, considering how that play ends with Juliet single and um, alive. And the only thing he cares about is his happiness and the fact that he's hurt right now. He doesn't care about their happiness. I want my happiness. Andy's just digging himself into a hole isn't the right phrase, but he's certainly not making the situation better for himself. I think Juliet... Does she die kill- too? She kills herself, yeah. Well, I thought Romeo... Okay, so Romeo drinks the poison and Juliet... Does she like stab herself? I don't remember for sure. I, I, it's been a while. I don't like that but play. But they both are dead. It just doesn't end <laughs> happily, so... It's not, yeah. <laughs> In any case, it's a funny In analogy. any case. <laughs> It's it's been a minute since high school English. But yeah. in my notes, I just put you're the manager. How like you are hypothetically signing off on people's, you know, time on on their checks essentially. So, how did you forget his name was Pete? I'm confused. <laughs> oh right, you haven't been here for the majority of his employment. Got it. Yeah. He's you're the manager. This is this is your job. And of course, no, you cannot fire him. This is such a Michael move. Honestly, yeah. just it's impulsive, it's emotional, and no shade on Michael. We love Michael, but logically, you know you cannot fire him. And that's just, you know, it takes some convincing. But even extracting from Pete that he and Aaron are dating, that's not even mature. He doesn't ask Pete straight out. He doesn't, uh, he doesn't even coax it out of him in a nice way. He says that Andy contracted chlamydia. Chlamydia. <laughs> he doesn't even know how to say the word from Aaron. Yeah, which is kind of a retcon because back in Sex Ed, and like I don't even remember what season that is, but he 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 was the one promoting the whole education of sexually transmitted diseases, and presumably he would know how to pronounce chlamydia because that's one of the more well known ones. But it it I mean, it's just a small thing, right? He's supposed to be so in love with Aaron, but now putting her down. And saying that she gave him some STD to the new boyfriend, that's not kind. That's not loving. That's just spiteful and being, you know, trying to shove Aaron down to get this information out of Pete. It's just all very immature. But Pete reassures Andy, look, we did not start seeing each other until she broke up with you. That there was no overlap. I'm liking Pete more and more. I think he's level-headed. I think he's sweet to Aaron. I think they're a good match. But... As you said, Andy doesn't care if they're a good match. He, he just wants her back. Her happiness doesn't seem to matter right now. And this is the point where my opinion changes just a little bit. Because 
I mean, obviously, Aaron and Pete are the victims of Andy's wrath for like the first half of the episode. But then Pete and Aaron do something that I'm not a huge fan of. Pete comes into Andy's office and like preaches to him about how you've just got to move on. And yeah, he's right. But it's, I don't know, it, it kind of rubs me the wrong way. It's like, it's not your business to tell him to move on. Yeah, you didn't steal his girlfriend. Yeah, you didn't date while they were dating, like do anything shady. But you are the new boyfriend to his ex now. And you kind of just need to enjoy your relationship with her. Try and distance yourself from him. But Pete doesn't do that. He goes into Andy's office and he says, hey, man, you got to move on. Listen, I, I, I had a similar situation. I had to get over it. It's OK. We're friends now. And Aaron steps in and joins in. Yeah, th- we could all be friends. Yay. Happy. And I just it bothers me that that they they're the ones who are telling Andy to move on. That's something like the other office members should maybe do. But Aaron and Pete kind of have a responsibility, I think, to just leave Andy alone as much as they're able to and let him try and sort out his issues with other people if need be, but certainly not with them. And it reminds me of an episode of a TV show that I've been rewatching recently. Uh, it's the Muppets sitcom from a few years back. Kermit and Piggy, obviously they were dating. They got married in the, t- the movies or whatever. And in this TV show, they're broken up, right? And so Kermit has started dating a new pig woman. And I know this sounds ridiculous as I'm explaining it, but it's okay. It's the Muppets it does, and I like yes. the Muppets. <laughs> so Kermit and Piggy separated. Kermit is dating a new pig person. And he asks for Piggy's help in buying his new girlfriend a gift because Piggy's good at gift giving and they're friends now. So why not ask her? And so Piggy does step in and help by buying a really thoughtful musical jewelry box that uh, Kermit's new girlfriend likes a lot. But then the song that plays from the jewelry box is the song from Kermit and Piggy's relationship as sort of like Mm -hmm. a a vindictive kind of way to be an a-hole and ask me to get you a gift for your new girlfriend like it's the same sort of situation and the the whole parallel here is that andy decides oh you had an ex that you broke up with and now you're friends now well let's let's test that and so he invites in pete's ex-girlfriend to work in the quote marketing department that totally exists at scranton dunder mifflin and also gabe lewis is back and is there to upset aaron and I'm not saying Pete and Aaron deserve it, but I don't blame Andy a bit because, like I said, it just bothers me the way they handled the situation in the second half of the episode. I agree with you partially and I disagree partially. I do think it was completely inappropriate for especially Pete Mm -hmm. to have that conversation with Andy. I think Aaron maybe could. Even then, it would be harsh Mm because he's allowed to hurt. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is new for him. He thought he was coming back into... His girlfriend's arms and everything was going to pick right back up. I mean, that was naive to think that, but that's what he thought was going to happen. She had time to grieve the relationship and get over it for three months. So she's moved on. He has not. Pete, yeah, I agree, doesn't really have any business saying, like, you need to get over this. But they're not going to be friends right away. They may not all ever be friends, but especially not right now. However, I think what Andy does in bringing in Gabe and Alice, Pete's ex, is just manipulative vindictive like you don't you're wasting everyone's time alice seems i mean she's not the best person i will give you that she's not a nice person but when she finds out that is there even a marketing department why am i here she's taken a day off to come do this 
I guess he's paying her maybe. So that's good. But like, you're wasting everyone's time. It just seems like an, an expensive lesson to teach them, which seems a little bit manipulative. Oh, I, I completely agree with that. But I think Andy kind of deserves a chance to lash out. It just, True. In my yeah. opinion, it's just like, come on, Pete, leave it alone. Enjoy your relationship with Aaron. You won. Yeah. <laughs> but you don't have to rub it in Andy's face. Not that I think Pete's intending to do that. That's totally the way it comes across. And you see it on Andy's face. He's just like, mm, yeah, just keep talking. Cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, Andy's response is extreme and it's a waste of time and it's all kinds of things. But it's like, is it? <laughs> you know, I, I'm not trying to make Andy seem like a good guy and that his actions are justified here. But it's just like it, it, it really did bother me the way Pete stepped in and tried to manage Andy's grief. Yeah, absolutely. And then Andy holds a conference room meeting with the four of them at the end of the day to sort of just see how everyone's day went. And uh, do, do we all like working with our exes so closely? Is that fun? And yeah, as I said, turns out Alice is mean. And she starts sort of verbally, like it's almost verbal abuse to Pete and kind of to Aaron. So you're dating a secretary now, moving up in the world, Pete. Okay, sh- that's not called for. And then she says, how's that PE degree coming? That's what he wanted to be. His dream in college was to be a gym teacher. Like, ca- wait, why are you... Why? Why are you so mean? What happened? Why is that an issue? If he wants to be a yeah. PE teacher, then let him be yes. a PE teacher. There's nothing wrong there, with it. We need PE teachers. And that's <laughs> amazing that we have somebody who wants to do that, trying to do that. Like, uh, she's just being, I mean, no one's their best on this day. And, mm-hmm. and it's, apparently it's not Alice's day either. So maybe she's, maybe she was better when Pete dated her. But yeah. uh, that day is not today. And we learned that Pete was at one point a librarian too, or he worked at a library. So learned right. a little bit about Pete, but it wasn't in the best of situations that we learned this information. Uh, any more to say about that stuff? I mean, Andy closes it by saying, did making Pete and Aaron feel bad make me feel better? And he's like, yeah, it kind of did. <laughs> like, okay, I'm glad you found some relief somehow, even if it was at somebody else's expense. Jim and Pam, I guess we should we should talk about next. Again, this is a bit of a weightier episode, a lot going on. Andy wasn't having his best day. Jim and Pam aren't really either. So Jim set up a a job interview for Pam in Philly with a real estate company as the office manager. Now, she doesn't know much about real estate, and this is all moving faster than she kind of thought it would, and her resume is laughably small, and she's pretty insecure about it. But hey, let's give it a shot. And Pam stops by Athlete before her job interview to see Jim, and he's Mr. Corporate America with the Bluetooth headphones and or the Bluetooth phone and everything. And Pam kind of teases him about it. There's sort of they're in a good mood. They've got some rapport going on. And there's another guy there who apparently set up Pam's interview, who's kind of hokey and cheesy. And when he walks away, Jim and Pam make fun of him together. So it appears like they're doing okay and that they're on the same page and he's being supportive and she's being supportive and everyone's playing nice for now. I really like them at this point in the episode. Uh, They're getting along. It's almost like things are back to normal. They're they're playful. They're joking with each other. There's lots of smiles and laughs and encouraging each other. And it occurred to me why, and this is maybe just my opinion, but Jim is really happy that Pam has an opportunity now to move the rest of the family to be permanently in Philly. Mm-hmm. For, for Pam to have the same opportunity as him in this new city. But maybe what's not occurring to Jim 
because he's still sort of inward thinking on this whole athlete thing. Pam still has a mural to finish at Dunder Mifflin Scranton, or honestly, to almost completely redo, thanks to the vandalism. She still has the mural that she got hired for at the Irish American Cultural Center. Her mom, at least, is still in Scranton. She's been at Dunder Mifflin forever and seems to be happy there. I mean, in other words, Pam's not in any hurry to leave Scranton like he seems to be. So even though he's in a good mood and they're getting along with each other here, I, I just don't think that the whole thing is exposed yet. And that, that happens more throughout the course of the episode. And then Pam shows up to this job interview and it seems a little bit nervous, but then she gets through the door and I'll be. The office <laughs> is basically Jenner Mifflin and the boss is basically Michael Scott. And she kind of falls right back into, <laughs> she knows exactly how to handle this guy. She knows what to say. She can use this to her advantage. She gets on the boss's good side. She can be a good audience, laugh at the right jokes. He likes her resume, even though it's very small. He says he likes it because it shows that she sticks around. She's loyal. And the interview is going as well as it could go with a guy like Mark, this, this boss in charge. It's going as well as it could. He's making off-color jokes, just like Michael would. And Pam knows kind of how to let that stuff roll off her back. <laughs> but when he shows her where her desk would be, she realizes that the job is not office manager. It is reception. And he says, yeah, you'd be managing the office in the form of answering calls and forwarding calls and faxing the, you know, managing the day to day of the office being a reception job. And Pam is disappointed and she doesn't think that she can really go back to that life. If she's going to move, it needs to be for something bigger than what she was doing for years. It, it can't be a, a lateral or even a downward step. She's not a receptionist anymore in Scranton. And this would be a step back. First off, it's kind of meta. Uh, the choice in this boss who's like Michael Scott, it's Bob Odenkirk, who is uh, considered for the role of Michael Scott in the first place before Steve Carell got the role. But the thing that you already mentioned, but something that I want to linger on just a little bit more is what he says to Pam about her resume. He says, I like that it's short because it means that when you work somewhere, you stick around. You're not in a big hurry to leave. And I wonder if that triggers a response in her sort of the same way that Pam's note to Jim did when he was interviewing for the corporate job at the end of season three with David Wallace. It's almost like it triggered a sort of loyalty to Dunder Mifflin. Like, he's right. I do stick around. Like, why, why am I trying to leave this place that has been good to me all these years? I mean, she wouldn't have taken the job anyways because it, it, she didn't want to return to reception. But it's interesting to see how the, the, the interview portion where they're sitting down and looking at her resume takes place before she realizes it's a reception job. And it just sort of like, even before she finds out it's reception, kind of shuts down her desire to find a job in Philly. And then later when they're having dinner together, she does tell Jim, you know, I was happy with our lives in Scranton. Yeah, that's definitely possible. I didn't think about that. But there is a probable parallel there between Jim with the, with the yogurt lid and, uh, and Pam here with the resume. But regardless, yes, she does tell Jim, I don't know if I want the job and I don't know if I want this. Mm. It's this being Philly and athlete and everything Jim's worked for. And this great day that it looked like she was having, like they were having, it just kind of comes crashing down. And I don't think it's to her fault. She's being honest. It's not malicious. She's not mad at him. She just says, like, look, I. I don't know that, that this is what's going to make me happy. And I think that's totally valid and fair for her to say they're a team and half the team isn't on board. 
Team Helper. <laughs> didn't even think about that. Team Helper. <laughs> this is a conversation that they should have had like seven episodes ago when this whole storyline started. Uh, like yep. that's not a, a, a knock on the writers. It's just like as characters, they needed to communicate like this so long ago. And Jim, something happens to him here. He becomes aware for the first time of Pam's real feelings in this matter. She says, I liked our lives in Scranton. His, and his response is, and yet I have started a business in Philadelphia. It's not defensive. It's an acknowledgement that he has done something contrary to what his wife wants. Mm-hmm. Not, not, not that she has sovereignty over their household, but he simply heard what he wanted to hear when it came to Pam agreeing to him pursuing athlete in Philly. And it's only now that he's realizing that this isn't so out of left field as he initially thought. Yeah, I think it's very much a neither one of us is wrong. We're just not on the same page here. They're both doing the best they can. They're both trying really hard to make the other happy, I think. It wasn't necessarily that way at the beginning of the season or a few episodes into the season. But I think right now they really are trying to compromise and to make the other one, you know, feel heard and appreciated. and. It's just not working. So Mm -hmm. they're at a bit of an impasse, it would appear. Somebody's got to give. Either Pam's got to move or Jim's got to stay. And we'll see. I I do like that, even though this is a heavier moment where they realize that their their desires for their lives are just sort of in conflict with each other. It's not a tearjerker like it was before that left Pam emotionally vulnerable or, or led to an angry fight or anything like that. This is just wow, we're finally openly communicating and we're being honest with each other. And again, this should have happened a long time ago, but at least it's finally happening. It kind of pulls all the emotion out of the room. And these are just the facts, which is refreshing. It's, It's not happy, but it is refreshing. Now, going on to the other major storyline, and then we got just a couple small things to talk about. Dwight gets a call from Mose and his Aunt Shirley isn't doing well. She doesn't have long to live. He tells Angela that she's on her last legs and he needs help cleaning her up and taking care of her. And so he does talk to Angela and he says, you owe me one. And I'm curious, what do you think or do you, what do you remember that she owes him for? Because I'm really struggling with that. The only thing that really immediately came to mind and I say immediately came to mind. This was after a lot of thought. (laughs) Maybe it's for the way he handled her crusade against Oscar and the involvement of Trevor, or or is it something else, do you think? I was going to ask you the same question because (laughs) I'm not entirely sure. That came to mind. And then, of course, all the way back to their sex, you know, uh, deal. But that was resolved, I believe. So, Well, she voided it whenever she met the senator. Remember, it was the Hey Place episode. It very well may be the Trevor Oscar thing. Other than that, I really can't think of anything. Yeah, and I couldn't find any answers online either. But she does seem to agree that she owes him one. This wasn't just a Dwight convincing tactic. She's like, yeah, I I do. So Mm -hmm. she goes to help. And Shirley is a shrewd man. She's... um, (laughs) She is in no better condition than Dwight described her. She is not looking great she's ratty and her, she's dirty and mean and she slaps angela and we learned that she tried to poison her last nurse she did poison her last she, nurse. or sorry she did I think poison it was yes <laughs> she didn't die but she did poison the nurse and the only thing that'll kind of subdue her is homemade schnapps 
and a lot of it. So she's a character. It's now time to hose down Shirley, literally, while she's asleep. So they all go outside. <laughs> she's woken up by now. <laughs> the schnapps didn't put her out for long. And there's, I mean, a fire hose and they change Shirley down to a chair. It's all very unromantic. It's, it's just like, it's, it's like an animal. Angela is miffed by this. She's, this isn't the way to treat somebody. I can't hose your aunt down. But Dwight and Shirley are both like, just do it. Just hose me down. I, I don't understand what their problem is here. I love how she acts like, yeah, this is just every day for me. I get hosed down in the backyard after getting my clothes cut off of the box cutter. It's the weirdest. Uh, yeah. And Angela does not want to do this. And uh, when the hose is strong enough that it throws Dwight against the wall, Angela's had it and she screams at Dwight. She tells him that she's not going to give his aunt a bath like this. She's going to give her a proper bath and a haircut like a lady. I'm going to treat her like a person because this is ridiculous. And <laughs> what kind of life are you living? And Angela stands up for herself and for Shirley, really. And Dwight responds to it. Yes, ma'am. Absolutely. Okay. And we know that Dwight responds to authority and authority from anyone, really, I guess, because the second that Angela put her foot down, Dwight was really subservient. It was quite the, the power shift. She's eventually able to get them both to do things the way that she wants to do them rather than the shrewd way. Uh, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And Dwight just observing as Angela takes care of his aunt and is braiding her hair. You can clearly tell that he admires that about her because here Angela is taking care of someone that Dwight cares about in some capacity. I mean, Shirley's terse and rude and Shirley, <laughs> but <laughs> she, she is family to Dwight. He cares about her enough uh, to at least feel a responsibility to take care of her. And so seeing Angela as somebody who he cares about, taking care of another person he cares about, and being almost kind of motherly in a way, and yet still commanding respect, it's really neat to see how Dwight responds to that. And they're almost flirting each other while they have dinner with his aunt, to the point where Aunt Shirley speaks up and says, hey, when's the wedding? And they sort of just shrug it off and sit there silently, like, awkward. But they say their goodbyes, and they kiss, and it's, without trying to sound gross, it's, it's a kiss like, this is the metaphor that immediately came to my mind, so it may be gross, I don't, I don't know. But it, it's a kiss like they're both thirsty, and the other person is what quenches their thirst. Like, it's almost a desperation kind of kiss. It's a need. Yeah, yeah it's, it's like, like, this is something that we should have been doing, but we have not done in a long time. That's what the kiss is like. But Angela, after a moment, does break it off, and she says she can't sound familiar. Mm. They resort to their old nicknames for each other, Monkey and D. Dwight says, you know, just leave the senator. He probably won't even notice that you're gone. But then we, this, this goes back to, I, it might have been your discussion topic for the last episode that we talked about, where Angela says, I can't be your monkey anymore. I made a promise. I made a vow. In referring to her marriage. Uh, so that's why she's not leaving. She, she feels herself committed to this. And it's really a sad moment, especially Dwight's line. It's possibly the most heartbreaking Dwight line in the whole show, I think. He says, I'm not talking about some frisky romp in the warehouse. Like what we did before, that wasn't what I'm asking for now. What I'm asking for is forever. I want to spend the rest of my life with you. He says, we have wasted too much of our lives ignoring the fact that we belong together. And that's so sad. It's so sad. This is the biggest declaration of love we've ever heard him say. This is 
big. This is huge. There's a little bit of humor in there. He says that he wants to spend the rest of his life, the 80 or 90 years he has left <laughs> with her. But it's, it's such a distinct, no, not what we had before, not the curse, dirty, impersonal stuff we had before. That's just, that's just quick and dirty. I want love with you. I want forever with you. And she shuts him down. Mm-hmm. It's just like Pam did with Jim and Casino Night. Yeah. It's the yeah. exact same shutdown. She says, I can't. She doesn't say, I won't or I don't want to. Mm-hmm. It's that she can't because I think she does want to. That kiss tells me that she wants to and mm-hmm. she cannot. She says that she made a vow and, and she gave her word and he admires her for keeping her word. And he tells her that if she was his wife, in other words, that he would want her to keep her vow. So what he's really saying is, you are the woman I thought you were, because if you were mine, I would want you to, to keep that promise to me, and you're keeping it to Robert, and I respect that, I understand that. He's, he gets it. He's not happy with it. She's, I don't think, happy with it. But they part ways with admiration for the other person, but unable to act on it. And I admire Angela for that decision. All of Robert's flaws, his affair with Oscar, the way he uses her for his image, all those things that he does poorly, but she can't leave him because she doesn't want to break her commitment to the marriage. I think at this point in the show, Angela realizes her faults and she doesn't want to make leaving my husband another one of them, Mm -hmm. no matter him not holding up his end of the bargain. It's just, it's really sad, but I, I admire her for it. And like you said, Dwight does too. Oof. This is a really fun episode, <laughs> we're, man. We're, we're almost through the, the heavy stuff. Well, I mean, we are through the heavy stuff. There, there's just yeah. the Toby and Nellie to go. Yeah. So before we get to funny moments, let's have a little bit of levity. We see Toby trying to flirt with Nellie again, this time using the Scranton Strangler as conversational bait. And Nellie lets him have it because uh, she does not want to hear this. She says, no, Toby, you cannot keep blathering on about the Scranton Strangler. Do something about it. Get it out of your system, whatever it takes. And Toby says, I've been drafting a letter. (laughs) Yes, you have been. And Nellie says, for two years, then what? Another year picking out a stamp. Another six months before you decide to lick it. I don't want to hear it. Just do something about this because I don't want to hear it anymore. It's such a great shutdown. And remember, we had a deleted scene a few episodes back where Toby actually made a call to the Scranton Strangler in prison, arranging Mm -hmm. a meeting. But obviously that didn't air. It wasn't part of the episode. And so we have that idea reintroduced here, almost kind of like a dare from Nellie. Yeah. Toby takes her advice. I don't know if it's because she said the right words to really get him going on this action or whether he wanted to impress her or what. But he tells Nellie, I'm going to the prison. I'm finally going to talk to this Grand Strangler. And she convinced him to do it, finally. So he makes plans to meet with Scub, and he plans to tell him that he believes that he's innocent. Toby says that he would understand if Scub wanted to hug him, and that Toby would understand if a friendship began. And in a botched Humphrey Bogart Casablanca quote, Toby insinuates that this would be his very first friendship if this were to succeed. With the man who was convicted of strangling people, so <laughs> it's kind of kind of heartbreaking to be honest, yeah. especially yep. considering how it does end with Scub's hands around Toby's neck, which confirms either that yeah, this is this great strangler, or Toby just drives people to their extremes. <laughs> either way, <laughs> I wasn't a strangler before, but I am now. Yeah. Toby has been strangled, not lethally, but enough to severely damage his vocal cords and he won't be able to speak for two weeks. 
Lucky Nelly, I guess. And Nelly picks him up from the hospital after making a joke about Toby offering his neck for justice <laughs> and um, tells him that it was actually quite brave what he did. And she seems to think that, wow, you, you really wanted to find this out. And so you did the thing. And Toby, through his injury, is, is interested still in Nelly for being admiring of him. It's all very cyclical, but a nice comedic line in the story because we needed it. And the last thing to end on, we get a sort of reverse cold open or a cold close, whatever you want to call it, uh, because so much of this just doesn't apply to anything. Because the actual cold open we get at the start is part of the story before the theme music. And here at the end, we get our unrelated fun thing, at least at first. Oscar has decided that he watches too many ads when he watches videos online, and he doesn't do enough sit-ups. So he bought this contraption thing that allows him to hang upside down from the doorway and do sit-ups that way. So when the ad comes up in the middle of his Hobbies of the East Mahjong video, of course, the kind of thing Oscar would watch, he goes to the doorway, he hangs himself by his ankles, and he does a few sit-ups, but he wears himself out and is not able to get himself down. He asks for help. No one helps him because he's being obnoxious about this. He said, you could all be doing this. And so they leave him just hanging, and they do things around him instead. So Aaron holds him to the side <laughs> so that Phyllis can get by with hot teas for her and Stanley, and Angela sort of sidesteps him, and Kevin says, oh, why don't your famous stomachs help you now? before closing the door on him, just leaving Oscar hanging with the door in his face. But here's the relevant part of the cold, this cold close. We focus on Oscar's computer, and there's a new ad that has popped up in the bottom of the screen, and it says, coming this May, The Office, an American workplace. Ten years in the making. Hey! hey they said the title. <laughs> Finally! <laughs> Ten years in the making, a look at the lives and loves of an average American small business office. And so... Here it is. The documentary is getting near. And that's what we end on. The beginning of the end. And I'm really glad after two plus years, they finally <laughs> said the name of our podcast. Yeah, In case you're a first time watcher, that's why we're called American Workplace. Oh, uh, yep. And there is an alternate title for the podcast coming up by the end of the show. Yeah, so, but we can't. Yeah. We can't talk about it yet. No, but yet. yeah, some funny moments. Uh, Dwight has an out of context talking head. and. We don't quite know what he's talking about until, until the end. He says, no, don't just let her eat the grass. She'll puke it right up. Okay, just put out two bowls and see which feed she prefers. I'm sorry to be taking up so much of your precious time, Mose, but she's your aunt too. Fine, I'll see what I can do. <laughs> it's such a great comedic <laughs> reveal. I wanted to talk about Mark for just a second. Uh, I oh, could yes. quote so much of his stuff just because I love Bob Odenkirk. I love his brief role here, but here are just a couple of highlights. He, he really is exactly like Michael. There's movie references all over the place, and you can't just let the reference or the joke sit. He has to explain it to you, and he has to be liked, but it's not like a, a compulsive need to be liked, like his need to be praised. <laughs> and he, he hits on Pam, calling her kind of cute but married, so uh, leave that be. And he, he's constantly throwing glances at the camera, too, and putting on a show. But my favorite is something that I reference probably more than I reference some other characters from the show. And he's only in this one episode. And it's the whole, pretty cool, pretty, pretty cool. <laughs> and you have to do the arm motion. You just have pretty to. I, I, I do that all the, all the time. <laughs> pretty cool. I had forgotten really where that was from. 
Like I knew it was from the office, but I forgot it was Mark uh-huh. until I, oh, that's where this is from. Uh, and it was, it was like a coming home moment. Yeah. I love that so much. A great Mark and Pam bit during Pam's interview. When he's talking about her resume, he says, you don't jump ship easily like a lot of these people. I mean, they worship me, you know, but do they like me? I mean, do you think they like me, Pam? <laughs> Pam says, yes. And Mark gets a guitar and he says, what if Bob Dylan was your boss? I'm going to do Dylan. And he kind of imitates him. He says, oh gosh, I forgot the tune. Uh, I don't, is it even a tune? Is I it just, a tune? I just thought it was just like a, a typical Bob Dylan. Yeah. Pam Halpert is my name. And I've been at Dunder Mifflin for seven years, eight years, eight, eight years. years, eight years, man. Got the Dunder Mifflin blues, got the Pam Halpert blues, went to the Pratt, oh, Pratt Institute. You have children? Two children. Yes. You wrote art and painting, kind of the same thing, kind of the same thing. Sometimes I repeat myself, but that's just being Pam. <laughs> and she's like, you don't know me, but that's, that's her resume song, her resume rap. And uh, I just, it feels good to see a little bit of Michael on, on screen. It's you know? so funny. I can't actually envision him as Michael just because we have Steve Carell, but I'm glad that we got a taste of what he would have been like, because like I said, I just like Bob Odenkirk a lot. Yeah, it would have worked. Andy, at the start of the episode, when David has uh, finished yelling at him and has told Andy that he is not going to fire him, Andy's response is, David, I'll be there for you. These five words, I swear to you, when you breathe, I want to be here for you. I'll be there for you. That's a poem by J.B. Jovi. I want you to have it. (laughs) It's so obnoxious, but now I can't stop but like think the song in my head. Thanks, Andy. And... uh, Right after that, David says, you're on very, hey, hey, very thin ice. And Andy just says, vanilla. And David looks clueless. And Andy says, vanilla ice. It was a band. <laughs> it, it was a person, actually. A person. <laughs> but it, I just, the quoting of the, the John Bon Jovi is so funny. Again, some Michael-esque diversion tactics while he's in trouble. Just start <laughs> saying things to get yeah. his mind off of how much trouble you're in. Andy finds Pete's lunch in the fridge, a brown bag labeled Pete. And this is back when he doesn't know who Pete is. And of course, he's amazed and angry that Aaron's new boyfriend would be leaving his lunch in the office break room already. Like, pretty pretentious and pretty uh, so forward that she would already bring him to work, flaunt their relationship in front of Andy. And we see Pete through the window staring at Andy and just sinking further and further into his chair. Until we just see his eyes and he's like, <laughs> he's going to realize it's me at some point, but I hope it's not right now. And he also has a talking head at the start of the episode. And the best part is the opening line. He says, last week, Aaron told me that our relationship would be proceeding without me. <laughs> not <laughs> exactly not... what's happening, but mm, you got the works. gist, I guess. <laughs> Andy crumples up Pete and Aaron's relationship <laughs> disclosure that they've turned into Toby. And... uh He tries to destroy it, except not successfully. He just crumples it up. And Toby says, Andy, it's not the original. And destroying it will not stop them from dating, which is some pretty solid Toby advice. And uh, Andy throws the paper at him and leaves. And Toby straightens out the paper. He's like, it is the original. (laughs) (laughs) I like how he like looks around, like make sure Andy's really gone. And he explains (laughs) to the camera, this is the original. (laughs) He really probably shouldn't destroy it. (laughs) In one conversation, Andy refers to Clark as Clarker Posey, Clark Work Orange, and Zero Clark 30. So that's fun. But Pete is just plop. <laughs> just plop. Yeah. And later, unrelated, but just another quick Andy moment. Uh, after Pete 
and Aaron have come into his office to say, hey, you just got to get over it. We could be friends. I was friends with my ex, blah, blah, blah. Uh, he has a talking head. He says, yeah, so life gives you lemons and you've just got to eat them, rinds and all. And if you don't want to eat them, your ex-girlfriend will shove them down your throat with the help of her hunky new boyfriend. So that's fun. <laughs> when I heard him say, so that's fun, I just, I thought of The Good Place and Janet. So that's fun. <laughs> <laughs> I can throw shade now, so that's fun. (laughs) (laughs) Meredith, in typical form, uh, really did her best to keep Aaron and Pete apart. She says, hey boss, I did everything I could. I invited Pete out for drinks. I emailed him shots at my junk. Kid doesn't have a romantic bone in his body. I doubt that is the case. I don't think uh, you took the right tactic. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, probably not. Uh, When they first show up at Aunt Shirley's house, uh, Shirley says, oh, looky here, it's Big City Dwight. Carefully don't get mud on those fancy town shoes, Big City Dwight. <laughs> First off, he's inside. So, I mean, it's concerning that she's worried about him getting mud on his shoes. I mean, it's a joke, but still. Uh, and then it's crazy to think that there are people in Dwight's family who think of Dwight as a big city kind of guy, implying that one, they think Scranton's a big city. I mean, it's not small, but it's got definitely got that kind of like small town feel. And that Dwight is like an urban kind of guy because among normal people, he's the very rural, not city kind of person. So it's just funny. It's like, it makes you wonder what the rest of Dwight's family is like. I think the vast majority do work on the farm. And Mm -hmm. so the fact that he doesn't predominantly work on the farm is a big city Dwight. (laughs) And, And just a couple quick Aunt Shirley moments that happen right at that same time. When she sees Angela, she says, who's a little kitchen witch? She's so tiny, like a little kitchen witch. <laughs> the repetition in that line is what makes it so funny for me. Kitchen witch. And then when Dwight says, we brought you some new clothes, she says, new clothes? What for? And at this point, she stood up and she's opened her arms and her, her boob is hanging out of her tattered sleep shirt. So that's what for, <laughs> because your boob is hanging out. Yeah, Aunt Shirley. Several Gabe moments. Oh my goodness, oh. he's back. I didn't miss him, but I kind of missed the humor he provided. Mm-hmm. And confirm, this is the only episode he appears in in season nine. Yeah, it's weird. Mm-hmm. He brings his own tiny desk setup to Dunner Mifflin, including a nameplate and some desk accessories. And I think he probably brought the tiny table too. He just <laughs> was prepared for his day. And he hasn't changed a bit. He says, you know, times are tough. I was unemployed. I was still heartbroken over you, Aaron. I lost a good 50 pounds. But as you can see, I put all that weight right back on. Feel how fat my buttocks are. Yeah, it's crazy. Touch them. It's like a warm pumpkin. (laughs) No. No, you are still thin. And please don't touch it. I love, I think my favorite gay moment from this episode is when he first shows up and Kevin speaks up and he says, didn't you two used to do it? And Gabe just says, we absolutely did. Thank you for remembering that. (laughs) (laughs) It's just such a strange response. Like, thank you for remembering that Aaron and I were a thing. It's like, ugh. And not only that, but we used to do it. Thank you Mm -hmm. for thinking of that. (laughs) In the conference room meeting that Andy holds, Gabe says that uh, the day was weird for him because he still feels like he's in a relationship with Aaron. In fact, he still wears her button downs around the house. traditionally or i i guess it has gone the other way but i i the visual is is disturbing so i'd like you all to think about that (laughs) (laughs) and i mean i I basically have that whole conference room meeting (laughs) pasted into my my notes andy says 
Gabe, did Aaron ever tell you that she loves you? And Gabe just laughs at him and says, oh, no, 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 no. She wouldn't even let me say it. It was adorable. She would plug her ears and scream her heart out. Aaron speaks up and says, Gabe, can you stop talking? Because every word out of your mouth is like the squawk of an ugly pelican. And Gabe says, I got a tattoo for you. It says, I didn't ask you to get that Nike swoosh. Nobody did. You did that for you. <laughs> and Gabe just says, just do it. You were the it I was just doing. <laughs> oh. And then it gets crazier. Alice is talking about Pete. She says, he's not a very sophisticated man. I mean, he can't even use chopsticks. So do I need to say anything else? Mm. Gabe says, Aaron, I have been to Japan. I know how to use chopsticks so well. Come so back well. one night. Give me one night with you. I have shaved everything. Oh. Aaron says, I don't want you to shave everything. Like, I, I don't want any of this. And Pete interjects, I just want to be real clear that chopsticks is not the measure of a man. <laughs> like, and then Gabe is still talking about how shaven he is. He says, I am as smooth as a porpoise for you. Uh, no. no. Please stop. Please. <laughs> I don't want it. Daryl has a couple of funny moments in this episode. Andy goes up to the guys and says, I couldn't shake this feeling that Aaron's dating someone. So I looked at her phone. Daryl says, man, you can't do that stuff. You only find pain. When my ex-wife got into my email account, she was devastated. <laughs> it's just a, a funny, again, turn of expectations. You, you would think he's about to tell us about how he looked into somebody else's account. But nope, it was somebody who looked into his and found pain. Angela, during the dinner with Dwight and Shirley, when Shirley asks when the wedding is, Angela says, oh, uh, actually, we're just friends. And Shirley says, well, that's what Moe said about his lady scarecrow. And look what he did to that poor thing. <laughs> no, I don't want to know what he I did. Don't that. I don't want to even like, consider it or think about it or any of How those many things. gross ones. <laughs> Daryl also interrupts Andy's emotional outburst to the office to tell him, uh, hey, hey, Andy, you, you've got a booger bubble. And Andy just sniffs and he rubs it away and he apologizes and Daryl just says, it's okay. <laughs> like this, this was about your booger bubble, not about anything else that's happening to you right now. One more Daryl moment while we're on the subject. Toby tells Nellie, I'm going to the prison this afternoon. I'm going to talk to the strangler. And Nellie says, probably best to use his real name rather than strangler. And Daryl just like looks from beyond his newspaper and says, don't use his real name, George Howard Scub. It's a devil name. <laughs> I, I just love how he interjects a few times in this episode, and it's just like quick things like that. Well, so many killers have three names. I mean, mm -hmm. I know that most people have three names. That was stupid, but like, no, I, I know what you mean. It's like Lee Harvey Oswald, right, and um, others, several, several <laughs> others, and that's, <laughs> that's one. Just the, the one that came to mind. Yeah, <laughs> Phyllis has a moment when uh, Andy is wailing to the office. It's kind of pathetic. No, it, it is pathetic, not kind of. She says, I can't be around sad people. It makes me sad. And Stanley speaks up and he says, I'm the same way with horny people. And Pam's just disgusted with him. But the funny part about that isn't Stanley, because uh, gross, but rather that two years after Phyllis says, I can't be around sad people. It makes me sad. She voiced sadness in Pixar's Inside Out. Yeah, uh, that's a good that's point. That's pretty great. I just want to say that it's kind of gross that Aaron gave Andy's sweater, which is apparently sentimental in some capacity between the two of them, to Pete. Uh, like, yeah. this is really, really strange to me. And Clark tells Pete, I'll give you $100 to wear that sweater to work tomorrow. <laughs> I understand wanting to get rid of it. I do not understand wanting to give it to your new boyfriend who will then wear it. And you just think of Andy when he's, I, mm, yeah, it's really, it's weird. Confused logic. 
But that's all my funny moments. How about you get us into deleted scenes? Yes. So we only had a couple of deleted scenes for this episode, which is a far cry from the last several episodes. So just two here. There's a Mark talking head. He says, yeah, I'm in real estate. Did you ever see the movie Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross? Well, I'm Ross. I've never seen that movie. And that's not how we do business. But I know the general gist and we're on the up and up. But it is exciting. I don't know what you guys have been doing following this lady around, but this is the real estate game. Look at that. Look, feel that energy? They're coiled springs. And it just pans over the office like... Just like you would see Dunder Mifflin, just mm-hmm. bored. <laughs> yeah, very bored, very plain. And then the the other talking head, the second deleted scene we get, is a talking head with the guy that in the episode Mark tells to chillax, and he ignores him. And he says, my best friends in this office are Cut the Rope, Angry Birds, and Minesweeper. Still playing Minesweeper. But as far as human contact around here, no, I do my best to avoid it. Living the life. So just a guy who's not... Super excited about his situation, but hey, he's got his phone games at least. Yeah. And that is kind of it for for the episode. Do you have a discussion topic for us? I do. Do you really think that David owed Andy the courtesy of not firing him just because he, quote, wouldn't own the company if it wasn't for Andy? I I have a hard time following that logic because was him giving Andy the manager job not even Stevens enough? And all that Andy did in the first place was convince David to buy Dunder Mifflin. It's not like Andy bought it for David or anything like that. David had to spend his own money to make this happen. So I'm not going to fire you after you've been absent from your job for three months without telling me. Is that fair to the Dunder Mifflin Scranton workers who deserve a competent, present boss? I just said a lot of things, but any answers? No, I got you. I, uh... Completely agree with you. I don't think it's the same. David Wallace is, yes, he is benefiting a lot from owning Dunder Mifflin. He's, he was already a very wealthy man, and then he was a very, very wealthy man, and now he's a very, very, very wealthy man. I mean, he's, oh, he's doing okay. Really, Andy only told him about Dunder Mifflin being sort of up for grabs and in limbo, and so David came in and took it, uh, or bought it. That was kind of it. That benefited everyone, I think. Mm-hmm. So I don't think that that make him manager. Sure. If he's competent, which he appeared to be when he was made manager, as you said, I think that is a closer leveling ground than this. I have to say, I think Andy deserved to lose his job over this. Yeah, 100%. He should have been fired. And so what this really boils down to is David's just almost too nice a guy. (laughs) But I mean, he's a nice guy. So whatever. We like him. I would like him to be my boss, but I also don't. He's great. Yeah. I also don't not show up to work for three months in a row. Um, you should be manager. Honestly. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone who shows up maybe at this point should be manager. Yeah. Well, as promised, everybody, we have voicemails. Voicemail a palooza. Oh, do we? Okay. We have voicemails. <laughs> so we are going to just walk through them. The very first one is from Sam from California. Hey, Chad and Katie. My name is Sam, and I'm from California. And what would you guys say your favorite Michael quote is, as well as your favorite Jim and Pam moment? Keep up the good work. Bye. Thank you, Sam, for the voicemail. You got to love Google's transcription service because they translated Jim and Pam moments to human pyramids in text form. So close. What are your favorite human pyramids? (laughs) (laughs) I'm a big fan of Giza, got to (laughs) say. 
made out of humans. Oh, well, that was a little, never mind. That was a little bit too more. That was a little bit more real than I, uh, it's cool. It's fine. All right. Anyway, favorite Michael moment or uh, Michael quote. That's such a hard question to answer because there are just every episode I have a favorite Michael quote. I declare bankruptcy might have to be, <laughs> might have to be one of my all-time favorites just because I want to shout it about three times a week, but it just plays through my head a lot, which is kind of fun mm-hmm. as well as I'm not superstitious, but I am a little stitious. <laughs> like those really, that's, really that's quotable it. moments that like apply yeah. to a whole bunch of yes. situations. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the very first one that comes to my mind and I'm the same way, like I, I could name any number of Michael Scott moments and it would be my favorite. But the first one to come to mind is uh, from Diversity Day, like season one, when he says, Abraham Lincoln once said, that if you are a racist, then I will attack you with the North. <laughs> that one always gets me a, a pretty hearty laugh. So that's my favorite, at least right now. Do you have any standout Jim and Pam moments? Yeah, I think today, anyway, my favorite Jim and Pam moment is grilled cheeses on the roof. Oh. Yeah, it's, it's a realistic, quiet moment. There's not a lot of fuss. It's just a good, solid, romantic but realistic moment between them. And I, I like that a lot. Yeah. I mean, and honestly, it's not, it's romantic without intending to be because they mm-hmm. were, Pam was engaged to Roy at that point still. So it, it was just <laughs> them in their purest form as friends who had a thing for each other and wouldn't admit it. Yep. Um, I don't know. <laughs> The wedding is great. Like, obviously, Niagara is a standout episode, and that was a big episode when we talked about it, and I really love it. And, oh, I, th- I just thought of a good one. Okay, end of Company Picnic, when Pam finds out that she's pregnant, and it's a mm-hmm. dialogue-free scene, and all we see is Pam looking shocked, but excited and happy shocked, and Jim looking shocked, but he's also excited, and without saying a word, we know exactly what has happened. And yeah. I, I think that stands out for me right now. The tears in Jim's eyes always mm-hmm. floor me. It's so good. Call in the subs. Yep. Oh, all right. Yeah, that's, that's a really good one. <laughs> uh, and eat the hand, the head. Oh, yeah, it's, so, it's, it's so, so wonderful. Okay, thanks, Sam, for making us think a little bit. Okay, next up is a voicemail from another Californianite. Californian? That's more simple. That's, Californian. that's probably it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I added two words on the end. It's okay. Uh, we'll just pretend. Okay. Sydney, thank you. Here we go. Hi, this is Sydney from California. I was just wondering what you guys think about uh, Pam's character transformation. Because I remember in the Halloween episode, Danny said that she was a little dorky when they went out. But I feel like Pam gradually got dorkier and um, more outgoing. So I just want to know what you guys think. Thanks. Okay. So what do you think about Pam's transformation? We've talked a little bit about this, but we can give like an answer here. I agree that I don't think she appeared totally dorky in the early seasons. Maybe she was, and that was just not something we caught on camera, but she she definitely did become dorkier and more outgoing. I think a lot of that actually had to do with her. I forget when it was where she said, I'm going to start standing up for myself. I, I guess it was when she broke up with Roy. Yeah, it was season three. Yeah, I'm going to start standing up for myself. I'm going to be more assertive, tell people what I want, that some of those walls finally came down and she was able to be more herself and less shy. Yeah. What do you think? 
season three is always what I refer to when talking about Pam's biggest growth and maybe, maybe not her biggest growth. I don't know if that's fair, but that's when she comes out of her shell for sure. And that's when we do start to see a little bit more of her dorky side. I think we maybe don't see the dorky stuff as much in the beginning because she is still in her shell and she is so much to herself and so soft-spoken and under Roy's thumb, unfortunately. And so once season three happens and she starts standing up for herself and she starts telling people how she feels and all that kind of stuff, we start to see more of her actual personality come forward and her hobbies, like the art. And we always saw a little bit of the messing around with Jim as far as like pranking Dwight goes, but uh, that comes even more to the forefront. And we see that she's smart and she's clever. And so I, I really enjoy the the transformation of Pam. I, I think that it, it's really natural. I think that it makes her more likable, giving her more quirks and more things to make her stand out from just any other Jane on the street. So yeah, I, I really like Pam's transformation. And even going into season nine now, even what we were talking about today, the way she's sort of standing up to Jim, who has always been this person that she could go to to talk about anything. And they've gone through this rough patch now. But here she's saying, Jim, this isn't what I want. You're my husband. And I want you to listen to me. This isn't what I want. I'm not happy with the situation. So she's grown in a lot of ways. And I really appreciate that about her. Thank you, Sydney, for that voicemail. Our next one is a little bit long, so we're not actually going to play it, but we have a voicemail from Corey from Oregon who asked a really interesting question that I wanted to see what your thoughts were. Back in season seven, remember D'Angelo shows up in three episodes and he asks Dwight, why don't you like me? What's the deal? And Dwight says, because I'm not a kiss ass. I just want to do my job. But what has Dwight been to Michael all this time? but a kiss ass. What's different here? You know, I'm not sure I have a great answer for this because both D'Angelo and Michael, of course, we saw this from the beginning with D'Angelo because we saw D'Angelo and Dwight meet. We didn't see Michael and Dwight meet, but D'Angelo and Michael both need people to like them. So it must have been fairly similar. I think it really just comes down to Dwight not liking D'Angelo and he liked Michael, likes Michael. I, I don't have a great answer. It's a very good question because. D'Angelo and Michael are similar in that regard, that they have a bit of a, um, a need for people to like them. I don't know. I, I don't have an answer. What do you think? <laughs> I think that Michael has shown, we, we've seen proof that Michael was good at what he did, at least as far as like sales goes. In fact, I think, was there overlap between Michael being on, no, I don't think there would have been, on sales and Dwight joining the sales team before he became manager. No, I don't think there would have been. But Michael had a reputation as a great salesman, and that's why he got the manager job in the first place. And so Dwight, looking to him as manager, saw somebody who got to the position he's at because of his strengths and abilities as a salesman. And so Dwight admires that. And so, yeah, he was a kiss-ass to Michael, but it was because he actually admired and respected not just Michael as a person, but also Michael as a salesman and businessman, even though Michael yeah. had plenty of incompetencies as well. D'Angelo comes in and he has no proof of anything. In fact, his instincts seem really poor when it comes to sales. So I, I think that's the biggest difference to me is, and plus we have years of character building between Dwight and Michael as friends. Right. We don't know what the beginning of their relationship was like. Mm -hmm. So that's a good question. I thought it, it led to some interesting ideas. So thanks for that, Corey. 
Next up, we have a follow-up from Luke. Remember, Luke was the one who dropped his phone mid-call, um, and he was hard on Pam and said he's never really liked her very much, and we responded. And so this is his response to our response that I thought was worth listening to. So here's Luke. Hi, uh, this is Luke again. I left y'all a voicemail like a week ago. Y'all answered my questions. I appreciate it. I had some time to think back about it, and you know what? I might have been too unfair to Pam because Jim did spring that up on her and as 21 year old $10,000 is a lot of money so maybe I was being unfair listen I had another comment and a question the comment was you know as a black guy you know I heard you say one time on the show that like uh the Jeffersons was a black show and you had like this pause like you didn't know if that was the right term like it's cool bro like, it's, it's a black show like Martin the Jeffersons <laughs> black shows and other than that I want to know who you guys thought the best manager up until this point was because they all have very different styles but you know they've all had decent success in the Scranton branch you know they haven't been threatened to be downsized in a few seasons now so all right guys peace so first off, Luke, thank you uh, for affirming my description of the Jeffersons Choice. as a, quote, <laughs> black show. Uh, it, it did make me pause initially. And I, I left that pause in there when I did the editing, too, because I didn't want to sound offensive or dismissive. It, it's it's kind of its own genre, and that's completely OK. And so I, I thank you for that. <laughs> and it made me laugh when I first heard that voicemail. It made me smile real big. Also, you just sound fun. I just want to be your yeah. friend, <laughs> For sure. Uh, and so his question, who do you think the best manager up to this point has been for Dunder Mifflin Scranton? Well, it's kind of a cop-out because we get the most time with him. But I am going to say Michael because I think he was the most loyal. He, I think, brought the, the branch through the most change, positive change. I think he showed up to work and didn't take three-month-long vacations without telling anyone. I'm not naming any names, but I can only think of one other manager who's done that. <laughs> I think he was the most committed to his job of the managers we've seen. And yeah, uh, his managing was successful enough and his sales were successful enough to really put him in first place in my book. Yeah, I mean... It's a cop-out, but... It is, but... It's Michael. And I, I kind of inadvertently already touched on this. Michael was the best manager because of the way he viewed, well, because of his prowess as a salesman in the first place. He understood sales and was able to capitalize on that when it meant, when it, when it was important to. Yeah, he was a goofball and yeah, he wasted his time and other people's time, but he was a good salesman when it came down to the wire. But I just love Michael's approach to business. And I, I quote this so much. I mean, I, I wonder, I'd, I'd love for somebody to go back through the archive, all 100 plus hours of it, and find how many times I reference business school. <laughs> because it, it's mm. probably, if not my favorite episode, it's like top three or top five. And I always go back to Michael's quote, business is personal. It's the most personal thing in the world. And that's, I, that's such a beautiful way of looking at things. Michael was all about being in business for the people. The people. The people. <laughs> Very nice. And so I, I, I can't go with anybody else because, I mean, let's go through the managers. You had Creed for a day, obviously not the right choice. I mean, or <laughs> maybe obviously one. the best choice. Who knows? <laughs> uh, you have D'Angelo, who only lasted a very short amount of time. You had Robert, who technically he wasn't even regional manager. He was just CEO of the company. 
after walking in and leaving after five seconds. And then you've got Andy, and Andy clearly isn't the best choice. Sorry, Andy, but you're not. And Nelly, not the best choice either. So Michael may be a cop-out answer just because it's Michael, but he's also clearly the best choice. So thank you, Luke, for that fun voicemail. Next up, we've got Maria from California. Hey, friendy friends. This is Maria from California. I'm just trying to binge the podcast and catch up on everything I've missed. So maybe you've already mentioned this, but I just have to say I really appreciate that the writers gave some complicated dynamic to Pam and Jim's relationship in this season um, of season nine because they had just been this perfect uh, relationship that, you know, no one could really reach up to. And the truth is relationships are complicated and difficult and um, there there's struggles and it's hard. And so to see that in a comedy from this couple that I think a lot of us really look up to was so refreshing. And it would have been so easy to just keep the, the norm of, of the rest of the seasons and to add struggles and being annoyed with each other and, you know, seeking help and all those things was so wonderful. And I'm just so happy that they did that. I'm grateful that they did that. And I know some people didn't like it, but for me, I thought it was really um, genuine. And uh, that was really nice to to have seen through them. So just my thoughts. Thanks for it. Y'all do. Bye. Thank you, Maria. We did have a conversation about that when this whole storyline with Jim and Pam and athletes started up talked about how it's nice to see characters go through struggles and have flaws in their relationship. And as much as we love Jim and Pam, they were kind of just like the, the perfect couple. And so it's, it's nice to give them some dimension. Now I know a lot of people aren't fans of that storyline, but I, I, I am, I'm always a fan of giving characters more depth. So that's that for me. What about you, Katie? Yeah. I mean the exact same. I think one thing that's so great about The Office is it is one of the best comedies, one of the most famous comedies of our lifetimes so far. But it's not just a comedy. It's a drama in a lot of ways, too. And it's deep and it, it touches on real life things. And this is one of those things. So I'm really glad that they that they did that. And it's just it's more realistic, as we've talked about. If, if Jim and Pam had gone through nine seasons, once they finally got together of having no conflict, how, how unrealistic and how much less would we believe them than if they had had, you know, some marital trouble because it, it's unrealistic and it's, it's ungenuine, ingenuine. So, yeah, it was a gutsy move, I think, from the writers to do that, but I appreciated it as well. It is true that it was a gutsy thing. I mean, so much of the, the first four or five seasons of the show was built around, yes, Michael Scott, but also the will they won't they of Pam and Jim and the lead up to that marriage in season five. Awesome voicemail. Thank you for that discussion. Maria also left another one where she pointed out something else that we've talked a little bit about on the show. She pointed out parallels between this season and earlier seasons of the show. We've pointed out a few. She mentioned a couple of her own. She mentioned the scene at the end of the target when Angela and Dwight interrogate Toby about homosexual sex which is similar to what Dwight did at the end of sexual harassment when he interrogated Toby about female parts. So that's a nice little callback there that I don't know if we mentioned. So thanks for that, Maria. Now, our next voicemail is from Logan from Illinois. So here is Logan. Hey, guys, this is uh, Logan from Illinois again. Sorry for calling one more time, but I just had 
another thing to get off my chest. Uh, basically, Creed, uh, in the grief counseling episode, he tells Michael that he thinks Ed Truck was drunk as a skunk and went under 18-wheeler and lost his head. So um, I think that that was just Creed being weird, being Creed, and he uh, put together Ed and Truck and how that sounds like head and truck, and then he just, like, pieced together some weird thing to tell Michael. Um, so I was wondering what uh, your thoughts on that were and uh, other tidbits that you found on the office. Uh, cool. Thanks. Keep up the great work. Bye. Okay. So what are your thoughts on this, Katie? I always thought that the beheading was such a dramatic, like, I don't know. Did, did somebody really get beheaded in the plot of the office? That sounds so unlikely. And I actually think that this might hold some weight. Um, I hadn't really thought about it this way. But I do think Ed Truck definitely died, but that maybe Creed fabricated or exaggerated how he died. Yeah, I might, I might believe this one. Yeah, I, I think that there's definitely a possibility that Creed made it up. I always just assumed that it was real, but I don't know. I think it's fun to also assume that Creed just made stuff up because he's Creed. So either way, Ed Truck. Yeah, yeah, I mean Ed Truck, Head Truck. The name is yeah, it's similar. So yeah, that's that's a really interesting point, Logan. Thanks for thanks for calling in. Okay, next voicemail is from we, we can't really tell what the name is. It sounds in the voicemail like Vane, but I think it might be Lane based on a couple of emails that we've gotten recently as well. So uh feel free to let us know, correct us if it's Vane or Lane, but here is his voicemail. Hey, what's up? My name's Vane. I just wanted to say that I really enjoy your podcast. I also wanted to give the recommendation uh, in in episode 16 or 17, I don't remember exactly, you talked about how you love to drink coffee, and I wanted to recommend that if you're ever in Colorado or somewhere where they have a human being, go there because they have amazing coffee. And also, just on the side note, I really enjoy The Office and listening to your podcast. Uh, I listen to a lot of podcasts, but you guys are definitely at the top of mind that I like to listen to. So I hope you guys have a nice day, and we'll see you later. Goodbye. Thank you for the voicemail. Uh, now, now, Katie, apparently, in some episode, I don't even know, we, we gave the impression that we, we like to drink coffee, I guess? Was that just one episode? Um, Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Where you got that information? Notice that I took a pause to take a sip of coffee. Yes, we both have our <laughs> coffees in in frame right now on uh, on the webcam. So, yeah, it's true. We're guilty. Also, this was just very pure. Your email, your your voicemail. So, thank you. Yes, that was thank just you. The coffee recommendation. I'll yes. always take coffee recommendation. I will be in Colorado for Christmas this year, and so I oh, will definitely. Excellent. I will get some coffee. There, there is no doubt about that. So. <laughs> Thank you so much for the voicemail. It, it, it was it, it's another one that put a smile on my face. Okay, we've got one more voicemail um, from Andrew Bernard, question mark. <laughs> so here we go. Go home. Seriously, how many problems could be solved if the characters just went home? Tuxedo Jim, go home and change. Minor doesn't know who you are yet. Koi Pond Michael, go home. Get a fresh, dry pair of clothes. Ask Dwight to get your keys from upstairs if you need to, but go home. Hitler, Pam, seriously. 
take the day off, and go home. Why do these guys endure these office days with these shenanigans going on when they could just go home? Thankfully, it's more likely for our entertainment that they go through all of this. Also, Vidal Sassoon was very popular in the 90s. This is Andrew Bernard. <laughs> okay, thank you, Andrew. <laughs> but to answer your question, I mean, why doesn't Walter White just stop making meth? Like, that's a bad thing to do. Why Why would you do that? <laughs> why don't the Eagles fly Gandalf of the Fellowship straight to Mordor? I mean, there there are more nuanced ways of dealing with problems than running from them, even if only temporarily. And it, it's it's a fake documentary. I have I have two practical notes. One is that you can't always leave work. <laughs> you have <laughs> right Andy, <laughs> Andrew Bernard. I mean, how <laughs> how uh, perfect because Andy Bernard uh, took three months off work. I mean, I'm not saying three months, but you know, you can't just leave work if you want to change clothes. You know, it's just not always practical or probable. And then the other one is yeah, this is a great TV show, but it is a TV show, and we need people doing silly things to make it a TV show. That's just, that's sort of the unfun answer is that we need drama to have a a show. So yeah, it's not always going to make perfect logical sense, but that's what makes it fun, right? Yeah. And to be clear, I'm not like making fun of anybody. It's just, I I like to poke fun at some of these voicemails because (laughs) I mean, yeah, they could just go home, but then we wouldn't have the show. So not making fun of you. It's just... It's okay. It's a show. (laughs) Things happen. Things need to happen. (laughs) I'm glad they do. Me too. And you know what, guys? That is it. That is the end of our voicemails. And that is the end of the official 103rd episode of An American Workplace. Thank you for all who called in. We look forward to having more to call in. uh, And hopefully we won't have so many backed up. But this was a good opportunity since we only talked about the one episode to linger on them for a little bit. So that's it. Contact for the show, facebook.com slash workplacepod and at workplacepod on Twitter. Please continue to go over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating, review, subscribe. We would love that and it would be a big boost to the show. If you have any feedback or ideas, you can always email us or if you just want to say hi, that's fine too. You can email us workplacepod at gmail.com. And if you want to leave us a voicemail, if you want to add to the stack, dial 93-PRETS-DAY. That is 937-738-9329. And it's worth mentioning because I don't we don't mention it every week. But if you're an international caller and would like to call, I think all you have to do is add a plus one at the beginning of that, and you're able to call internationally and leave us a voicemail. So try that out if you would like. We'd love to hear from international listeners. And we'd love to hear from local listeners, but international is really cool because it makes us feel worldly or something and fancy (laughs) so as always try and keep your voicemail short uh, around a minute or less uh, so that we have time to play it on the show for some of these longer discussions and keep it to the point leave us questions leave us funny moments leave us whatever you have for us we'd just love to hear from you you can find me on twitter at ktlady623 or at facebook.com slash katie.white and the best place for me is also on Twitter. That is at Chadadada, C-H-A-D-A-D-A-D-A. Also, Facebook.com slash Chad.Hopkins. And you can also find my other podcast, Cinescope, where podcasts can be found and at thecinescopepodcast.com. Show notes and all contact information for this show can be found at workplacepodcast.com. 
We do have a new Patreon supporter. Her name is Summer, and I believe she's Chad's cousin. So hey, Summer. Hi, Summer. Thank you so much. (laughs) What's up? So I had posted on Facebook and on Twitter, I think, that I had just ordered new logo stickers for the show and that now everybody now is the last chance to sign up on patreon (laughs) to get a new sticker if you want a sticker or at least until we run out so we've got some fresh ones and so right after i posted that i get the email notification that my cousin had signed up for our patreon account and i texted her right away i said i would have just given you a sticker if you wanted a sticker (laughs) like you're my cousin and her response was nah if you believe in someone you've got to support them even if you can get stuff for free. And so thank you, Summer. I'm glad you support me and Katie and the show. And she is also a fan of The Office. So thank you, Summer. We're glad to have you supporting the show. Thank you very much. It means a lot. She wants the sticker. And we did just get in a, as Chad just said, a batch of stickers. So everyone who has been waiting on a sticker, thank you so much for your patience. Those are going out very soon. Fresh, hot off the press sticker uh, with our logo. So thank you very much. Hope you uh, put it somewhere public and uh show it proudly so we're we're excited for you all to get those if you want a shout out and more of an american workplace each week including access to our discussion outline and notes that logo sticker we're talking about and bonus episodes check out our patreon page and pick the support level you think is worth it to you at patreon.com slash workplace pod and that's all for this week thank you for joining us to watch one of our favorite shows the office here on episode 103 of an american workplace Make sure to join us in episode 104 for our discussion on the next two episodes of season nine, The Farm and Promos. Bye. Bye. But here is where the the relevant, relevant, I said relevant the relevant in the room (laughs) that's great uh all shots (laughs) it's okay you you don't have to say both words all shots all Mm, okay why use lot word word. with few word do trick (laughs) few word do trick